At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far... I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Today, we have a fun one. We'll be discussing the evolution of athlete marketability as TV revolutionizes sports. And every home in America gets a TV in their living room. And who is the first professional athlete television star? Broadway Joe Namath, quarterback for my New York Jets. Matt also tells the story of Super Bowl III, one of the most famous and important professional football games of all time. It's also the last great memory in New York Jets history, and lucky for me, it happened 30 years before I was born. Hmm. Here's Matt with more. Okay, as a reminder, we have already talked about the role of radio in popularizing sports in America. Uh, Americans sitting at home and hearing the crack of Babe Ruth's bat at Yankee Stadium or, or the whole country coming to a halt and listening to that Joe Lewis-Max Schmeling fight, which also took place at Yankee Stadium. Well, if the radio helped popularize sports in America, the television transformed sports in America. The effects that TV had on sports in the United States were massive. And early on, not all the effects were positive. The American TV boom began in the 1950s. And I have some statistics for those of you who like your American history in numerical form. In 1950, one in five American families owned a television set. So 20%. By 1960, it was 90%. In 1960, the same year that American voters watched the first televised presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, more American families had television sets than had indoor bathrooms. Priorities, baby. Well, in the 1950s, 
Baseball was America's preeminent professional sport, and it was Major League Baseball that was really the first sports league to test out the promise of television. In 1953, CBS Television and Major League Baseball, they launched the Game of the Week on Saturday afternoons. Those were the first regular season games available on TV, one game a week. But here's what baseball owners found out. Televised baseball cut into game attendance. Major League Baseball attendance dropped during the 1950s. And one of the reasons is that more and more of the games were beginning to be on TV. And the real disaster was in the minor leagues. Minor league baseball attendance plummeted. You know, faced with the choice of watching the the Hopkinsville Hoppers live or the New York Yankees on TV, most people chose the Yankees. And minor league baseball dropped 70% in the 1950s. The number of minor league teams, it dwindled from 488 to 155. Minor league baseball attendance would really not rebound until the 1990s. And that actually has a lot to do with a movie about minor league baseball called Bull Durham. The effect of TV on boxing was even more profound, and we might say even more damaging to the sport. You know, at first, boxing enthusiasts saw massive potential in television, uh, physical violence in a small, contained, easy-to-film squared ring. It seemed like a a match made in heaven. And initially, TV boxing ratings were high. But like I just told you about minor league baseball, televised boxing led to the collapse of local boxing venues. Those small local boxing clubs and gyms where fighters learn their craft and and boxing fans connected with young fighters on a regional basis, people stopped going to those places. On Friday nights, men were staying at home and watching boxing from the comfort of their couch. Boxing fans abandoned the local boxing clubs and the foundation of the sport eroded. Boxing today is pretty much at an all-time low point in terms of modern popularity. I really believe that this is where boxing would have been 60 years ago had it not been for one guy, Muhammad Ali. Interest in boxing was drying up, but Ali reignited fascination with the sport. So bright was his star, Ali single-handedly gave boxing another half century of relevance. So early on, television, it was a problem for baseball and for boxing, but not so for football. Television turned professional football from a marginal game into America's game. Professional football had very, very, very modest beginnings. Up until World War II, Americans, by and large, were pretty suspicious of professional football. You know, football was supposed to be an amateur sport. It was the great amateur college team sport. And professional football, by contrast, it was hidden. At the start of the 20th century, you might find evidence of it in the tough mining in mill towns in western Pennsylvania and Ohio, you know, what today I suppose is considered Pittsburgh Steelers and Cleveland Browns territory. Back then, local clubs were formed and they were sponsored by a particular company like a coal mine or a railroad company. And these companies would pay men a few dollars to play football on Sunday afternoons. The players would wear the name of that company on their uniform. 
But no formal leagues existed. Each team scheduled its own matches. There was chaos. There was disorder. Then in 1920, a group of men gathered in a car dealership in Canton, Ohio, and they created a league, the American Professional Football Association, which two years later, they renamed the National Football League, the NFL. The teams of the early NFL, they were from the Midwest and the Northeast. I suppose what today we would call the Rust Belt. You know, there were teams you've never heard of. There were the Columbus Panhandles and the Muncie Flyers, the Rochester Jeffersons. I could go on and on, and it would take a while. And that's because during the NFL's first 30 years, over 40 teams, 40 different teams joined the league, struggled, and then folded. The Great Depression of the 1930s wiped out all of the franchises in the smaller cities, all except one, a team from a tiny Wisconsin town that was sponsored by the local Indian Meatpacking Company. They went by the name the Acme Packers, and since they are in Green Bay, Wisconsin, they are now known as the Green Bay Packers. But other than tiny Green Bay, the only teams that made it through the Depression were the ones in the big city. You had the Bears and the Cardinals in Chicago. There were the Boston Redskins. This is a team that moved to Washington, D.C. in 1937. There were the New York Giants. And there were the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles. These big city teams and the Packers, they were the early essence of the NFL. But the league could never get on firm footing. And then World War II came and almost killed the NFL entirely. In fact, in order to survive... In 1943, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, they combined forces. Literally, they merged their teams, and during the war, they played as the Steagles. This is how tenuous things were in the early years, that the league was always just one season away from folding forever. And to say that Major League Baseball was the more popular sport than the NFL is to suggest a hierarchy where there really wasn't one. I mean, professional baseball was everything. Professional football was nothing. But in the 1950s, the NFL began to find its stride. And when people point to the moment that the NFL finally made it, they point to 1958 and the NFL championship game when the Baltimore Colts defeated the New York Giants, 23 to 17. And it was in overtime in Yankee Stadium. It's still referred to by many as the greatest game ever played. But the key factor is that the game was on TV. It wasn't just 70,000 people who saw the game in Yankee Stadium. 11 million Americans watched this game on their television sets. And this was the moment that NFL players were transformed in the American imagination. You know, playing this hard game on TV under the bright lights This is when NFL players went from working men to American legends. You know, this is when they became folk heroes. TV opened the game up. TV helped make football understandable to the masses. Put yourself in the place of a 1950s television viewer. What used to appear from the stands to be this distant, incomprehensible tangle of colliding bodies Now you could see it up close. Now it started to make sense. 
And then with the invention of instant replay and slow motion in the early 1960s, the televised game became even more understandable. It, it made the game more intimate. Now on TV, we can literally see the whites of the player's eyes as he jumps for the ball or tries to elude a tackler. There's an undeniable allure about live games, the, the spectacle, the sensory overload, the camaraderie in the stands. But there's also something to be said about watching a game on TV where each play is shown five times from five different angles and where it is a very comfy 74 degrees in your house and not well below freezing like it is in Green Bay where the Meatpackers play. So that Baltimore Colts-New York Giants game, the greatest game ever played, again, that was in 1958. The next year, something else very important happened. In 1959, another professional football league was created, the American Football League, the AFL. This was the creation of a 27-year-old Texas businessman named Lamar Hunt. And Hunt secured a TV contract for his new league right away. That was key. ABC Sports was locked out of the pro football game and they wanted in, so they gave a nice contract to this new league. And what happens in the 1960s is this. The two professional football leagues, the NFL and the AFL, they did battle with each other, not on the field, off the field. They fought for the top players coming out of colleges. Salaries for rookie players went up. And something interesting occurred. Though the NFL and the AFL owners, they did not relish a bidding war with each other. The fight for the players and these escalating salaries, it attracted even more interest in professional football. Americans are fascinated with the question of how much money people make. And suddenly there was a very public, open market competition between these two football leagues. But rather than escalating salaries killing one of these leagues, the competition for the players, it seems to have increased interest in both leagues. And so realizing that neither league was going to outlast the other, was going to be able to kill the other league off, In 1966, the two leagues agreed to coexist, and they agreed to play an end-of-the-year game between the best team from each league. When reporters asked Lamar Hunt about the championship game, a game called the AFL-NFL championship game, Lamar Hunt said that he jokingly called it the Super Bowl, a name that he came up with after watching his kids play with a brand-new toy, the Super Bowl. Hunt said, I know, That's a ridiculous name, but the media liked the name Super Bowl, and so it became the Super Bowl, a super-duper championship football game. But it was not officially called the Super Bowl until Super Bowl III. This is when the owners also decided to mark the game with Roman numerals, thus giving the game gravitas and linking professional football with the gladiatorial spectacles of the Roman Coliseum. And the star of that game, Super Bowl III, was Joe Namath. After the break, Joe Namath makes a guarantee. (laughs) 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Namath belongs in the pantheon of American sports stars, but but not so much because of his athletic accomplishments. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was good, but no one with any real knowledge of the game of football would call him one of the best quarterbacks of all time. No, it's what Namath brought to sports in a non-athletic way. Uh, He was a different type of American athlete. Not entirely different, I'll compare him to Muhammad Ali a couple times. You know, Namath, for example, he brought an Ali-like style and, and boastfulness to football. But I think more than any other athlete in this era, it was Joe Namath who expanded the idea of what the modern athlete could be. Joe Namath was a brilliant but often injured quarterback at the University of Alabama. And then it was on to pro football. And the question was, which league would he choose, the NFL or the AFL? And most assumed it would be the established NFL. That's where most of the stars were. That was the the big boys league. Both the NFL's St. Louis Cardinals and the AFL's New York Jets, they both drafted Namath. And Namath shocked a lot of people by going with the Jets in the AFL. He wanted the bright lights of New York City. And the Jets offered him an unheard of $425,000 for three years. This was the largest rookie contract ever in any sport. The owner of the Jets was a man named Sonny Werblin. And uh, Sonny Werblin had made his fortune in the music and television industries. And Sonny Werblin knew star power when he saw it. When he met Namath, he knew he had to have him. 
He knew this was the guy who could bring instant fame and credibility both to the New York Jets and the entire AFL. Werblin said that Namath had the same qualities as Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey, right? two larger-than-life figures that we've talked about. The New York press, they got their first taste of Joe Namath when the Jets introduced him at a press conference. And sports reporters were clearly aghast at all the money Namath was making. He hadn't even thrown a professional pass yet. And one reporter asked, suppose you don't make it. Now, Joe Namath is supposed to say, I don't know, but I'm going to try my hardest and God willing, I'll fit in and do okay. But he didn't say that. He just smiled and said, I'll make it. You know, it may not seem like much today, but this Ollie-like assuredness and boastfulness, this was new to the conservative team sport of professional football. One other thing that happened the day of the press conference, the Jets team doctor took Namath into a bathroom stall and asked to see his knees. And he was shocked. Namath, he said, had the knees of a 70-year-old man. He had torn so much cartilage in college that the team doctor thought Namath would last two years, tops. Joe Namath's ability to play through tremendous pain is going to be one of the things that will eventually win him fans and admirers. But not right away. Uh, No, no, no. The, the, The more traditional sports fans did not like Namath. They disliked his cocky attitude. Uh, They hated his hair when he grew it long. Football players were supposed to be squareheads with military-style crew cuts. Now, Joe Namath was no hippie, but he liked his hair in the longer, more modern style. The traditionalists disliked Namath even more when he showed up on the field wearing, horror of horrors, white cleats. Nope. I'm sorry. Football players wore black cleats. White cleats were a flagrant violation of football's militaristic ethos. You know, everyone wore the same color cleats and that color was black. But Namath thought he looked better in white shoes. So he went with white and he might as well have showed up in a mesh bikini. Fans yelled anti-gay slurs at him from the stands. I mean, they really did. But Joe Namath just smiled winked and kept slinging the football. Call him what you wanted. What did he care? After all, you were paying your hard-earned money to watch him play. And people watched him play at, at home, on the road, on TV. New York Jets games were not New York Jets games. They were Joe Namath games. There just happened to be other guys dressed in those Kelly Green uniforms that were playing with them. The TV cameras, especially, they followed Joe Namath everywhere when he was captaining the offense, of course. But they showed him getting more eye black applied to his face, talking on the phone to his offensive coordinator, getting his knees looked at by the trainers. They showed him when he was injured, sitting on the bench in his fur coat and and his sunglasses. Joe Namath was the first football player to be shown for any significant amount of time without his helmet on. He was the first football player to be given a face, an identity separate from his team. It was Joe Namath first, the football game second. And then there was the sex. 
Previously, athletes wanted their sex lives to be very, very off the record. And sports writers obliged. That subject was taboo. Babe Ruth was legendary among the sports writers for his sexual exploits. But remember, in the age of G-Wiz journalism, the point of sports writers was to turn players into gods. So sexual indiscretions went unreported. But Joe Namath didn't care. In fact, he wanted the ladies of the world to know that he was single and interested in mingling. And the sports writers followed him along as Namath drank and caroused and shot pool. They lived vicariously. Day after day, there were photos of Joe Namath socializing with models and actresses. And for the record, and we know this because he told us, Joe preferred blondes. He did advertising that played on his sex appeal. He did a shampoo commercial showering with the TV star and 1970s it girl Farrah Fawcett. Very famously, he did an advertisement for pantyhose. He put those old gnarled knees of his in legs pantyhose and showed women how pretty their legs could be. So like Muhammad Ali, who liked to call himself pretty, Namath blurred gender lines. He was both hyper heterosexual, but he was also willing to reject that conventional masculine model. So look, Joe Namath was not Muhammad Ali critiquing the war in Vietnam. He was not Tommy Smith or John Carlos critiquing racism in the United States. He was not Billie Jean King attacking sexism in America. Her story still to come in this course. Joe Namath's radicalness was the way in which he challenged the stereotype of what the successful athlete was supposed to look like and how he was supposed to act off the field. NFL quarterbacks were supposed to be humble, crew-cut, God-fearing field generals. And Joe Namath looked and acted like he belonged on a Hollywood movie set or, or at Woodstock. Namath's moment in the sun came at the aforementioned Super Bowl III, which was between the very established Baltimore Colts of the NFL and the upstart Jets of the AFL. The NFL's champion team had demolished the AFL champion in the previous two Super Bowls, and odds makers thought this would be exactly the same. The Jets were huge 17-point underdogs. The week before the game, Namath was speaking at a press conference, and he guaranteed a Jets victory. Now, he did not say the Jets had a chance. He did not predict a Jets victory. He said in front of the nation's sports writers, we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. You know, athletes are semi-reluctant to do this today. But back then, this was unheard of. And worse than unheard of, this was stupid. Everyone knew it. There was no way the Jets could beat the Colts. But of course, that's exactly what people said about Cassius Clay against Sonny Liston. Super Bowl I and Super Bowl II, they had not sold out, not even close. But 75,000 people packed themselves into the Orange Bowl in Miami to see if Joe Namath could live up to his boast or to watch him get flattened by the Colts. More people would watch Joe Namath play in Super Bowl III on TV than watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon later that summer. And there's a lesson here, and it's the same lesson we saw with Muhammad Ali. 
flapping your lips sells tickets. The iconic quarterback of the other team, the Baltimore Colts, it was Johnny Unitas. And with his militaristic buzz cut and quiet attitude, he was like Gary Cooper in high noon in a football uniform. And he was everything Joe Namath was not. And so this football game was sold as a battle between sensibilities, between generations. You know, it was crew cut versus long hair, uh, tradition versus rebellion, square versus cool. And cool won. Namath and the Jets beat the Colts 16 to 7. Joe Namath had backed up his guarantee. And as he ran off the field, he held up his index finger. We're number one. Or was he saying, I'm number one? Holding up your finger in this boastful manner, this was also something athletes didn't do back then. There was a Philadelphia sports writer named Larry Merchant who was at the game. And I just love how he described the impact of Joe Namath and the Jets in Super Bowl three. I'm going to quote him. For three hours, 75 million viewers on television saw the end of the world as they knew it, and it blew their minds. They had been convinced by the pro football mystique that a quarterback had to be Bart Starr or Johnny Unitas to win championships, leading by example, modesty, discipline, character, and attendance at communion breakfasts. For the fans who bought that theology whole, it was a three-hour horror show. Namath changed the face of professional football with one orgasmic victory. Man, that is a great paragraph of writing. But I actually think he's underselling it a little bit. Joe Namath did more than just change professional football. He changed American sports. You know, I I like comparing Namath with Ali. Clearly, I've done that a couple times today. But let me end by contrasting them. Even Muhammad Ali, for all his boastfulness and radicalness, he was Spartan. Ali did not drink. You know, sure, he caroused, but it was all done in private. And when it was time to train for a fight, Ali went up into the mountains and isolated himself. But not Broadway Joe. All their lives, American athletes and sports fans, they'd been told that modesty and hard work and sober living, these are all requirements for athletic excellence. Well, hard work still was, but it turns out you could be a hard-drinking out all night, on the make playboy, and still win the biggest game of the year. It was, as they say, a whole new ball game. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, The Battle of the Sexes. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. 
You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.